Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 180, Pilot Deviations and How to Avoid Them, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. This is a special episode because this is our seventh anniversary of the Stuck Mike Avcast, and and the, all the other hosts have come on. As you know, the first episode was actually with uh, uh, just two guests, but uh, we started the regular co-hosts in the second episode, and that was actually seven years ago. And uh, joining us uh, is actually the other person that was on uh, at the time, and that was Victoria. Uh, Victoria has been a, been a heck of a ride, hasn't it, over these these seven years? I feel really old. <laughs> uh, wait till we get to our 17th year. This will, <laughs> <laughs> and by then, it'll be all pilotless aircraft, and we just push buttons and land. Uh, oh, wait, that's what I do at work. I'm just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> but one of the things that's been uh, terrific over these seven years is, is that we've learned so much, and it's been so much fun bringing this to you. So uh, we'd love to get uh, suggestions as to what we're doing and, and what we can do better. But uh, being consistent is something a lot of people like. And like I said, we've been doing a lot of different different things like showing up at air shows and and trying to do more interviews at those air shows but it's been a, just been a blast and we've learned uh from you the listener and uh also some of the other co-hosts and the people we've interviewed on the show especially at the air shows it's just a blast uh seeing all you folks there and then you know don't forget we started doing the you know hashtag stuck mike selfie uh, get your picture and uh, put it out there on all the social media that you can uh but today our episode joining us today also is larry overstreet larry welcome Hello from Wisconsin. And uh, speaking of Wisconsin, we got some announcements for that. Also joining us from, uh, well, no, it's not sunny Florida right now. It's rainy, stormy, and lightning Florida. That is Tom Freck. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Carl. Well, it's it's uh, rainy and stormy in your neck of the woods. Kind of nice where I'm at. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, the middle of the state's just it's, getting hammered. It's, it's just a balmy 93 right now at... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost almost 8.30 p.m. Wow. Isn't that great? You know, I was jumping in the pool just recently. So, uh, And it, what's going to be great, though, is up north is when those people start complaining about the heat at like 80 degrees and 90 degrees. and But it goes away only after a few months. Ours is going to continue for months and months and months and months on. We only get two months of uh, – two weeks, really, of winter, and that's it. But uh, also uh, joining us is uh, Russ Zaleski. Russ, welcome. <laughs> that's the – Russ, that, that is what's, not me. Russ, what's wrong with your voice? Russ, your voice changed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Russ, hello, Carl. <laughs> hello. And, uh, Russ, that's not your friend. I think that is uh, Turbo, the flying dog. Isn't that Turbo? Hey, Turbo. 
Oh, I, I muted it. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I was hoping I'd get that. But uh, Turbo's joining us also on the podcast. Some really cool pictures, by the way, on Instagram that you have there, Victoria, especially with Turbo. Turbo definitely likes his new ride and uh, uh, is speaking about his new camper, which uh, is kind of another thing we'll talk about here. <laughs> there he is. Uh, well, <laughs> He's jealous it, not talking to him, apparently. Uh, He's always silent. <laughs> Poor little guy. But uh, he's actually been a real key uh, part to your life and your flying life, which has been really neat just watching him uh, grow up and you, you actually integrating him in, within your flying and, uh, career and your life. So that's really, really cool. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get going, uh, we do have a cool topic tonight. You know, we, uh, over the years, we've seen some real consistency in pilot deviations. And, you know, some of those deviations have caused certificate actions. Others can cause worth. Uh, you know, we can prevent those deviations. And tonight, we're going to describe what we can do to prevent those deviations. We're also going to define what they are. But before we get started, a quick word from the sponsor. Our sponsor is AviationCareersPodcast.com, which includes online courses, career coaching, and scholarships, plus a free podcast where we answer your career questions. Visit AviationCareersPodcast.com. A couple of announcements. I'm not sure if I mentioned this before. I asked people, hey, what should I do for my uh, CFI renewal since I'm not an active CFI to do something online? I decided to go the route again because my friends at AOPA convinced me. I did do the online uh, flight instructor uh, refresher clinic, which was really cool. Um, from AOPA, the only problem with it, if it is a problem, is you could spend uh, about 50 hours working on it because there are so many things that you can go to and see and learn from. So one of the things I would highly suggest is people to go use that course. And later on, after you finish the CFI refresher course, go through all those links again. I've saved all the notes because there's some really, really good stuff. It's a 16-hour course that you could turn into 60 uh, if you want to just follow all the links and all the things that they suggest that you read and the, and the videos that are there. That's another cool thing about it is it's very interactive, and they have some really cool videos, and, uh, and it really is a learning experience. And it's great to actually uh, do any type of recurrent training. I think it's a wonderful thing. So I can't wait to do another one uh, in the future. It was, it was a lot of fun. I did learn something there. Uh, another quick announcement. The Aerospace Scholarships Guide has been updated with some new scholarships. Uh, the most current edition is the May 29th, 2018 edition. And uh, by the way, scholarships are for everyone. It's not just people going to, to school to become a professional pilot. People want to get training. Uh, that They want to get an additional rating uh, just to move forward in their flying and their flying life. And uh, as a matter of fact, I know, Victoria, you folks at uh, uh, Aviation Insurance Resources have added a uh, scholarship to that guide. And I think that that is closing sometime in the near future. It uh, is on the 15th. So when this episode comes out, it's your last day to get in. Last day. Get it in there quick when you're listening to this. Uh, but they will have it again the following year. That's for sure. Yes. That's for yeah. sure. Another announcement going forward. I know that, uh, Larry, you were talking before about this thing called uh, Camp Bacon, I think it was. And uh, it's a wonderful place that I've never seen. As a matter of fact, I've never seen air venture nor have i seen oshkosh from the ground and uh larry i think uh, most of us here are going to be going to oshkosh right larry's going to be going is that correct yeah we are cool. uh exactly we'll be we'll be back there again this year and um you know for the at least the first couple of days look around for us in our uh, uh spiffy uh orange stuck mike avcast shirts um by later in the week it you know laundry happens and uh uh, we may be wearing other things, but um, do look around for us. And if you see any of us, just uh, stop us and say hello. We'd love to see you. 
Cool. And uh, Victoria, you're going to be there, I think, for a few days? Yep, I think I'm going to go for the whole week. Awesome. And uh, and Tom, you're going to be there, I think. I know that, right? With uh, um, Maybe. I'm still a definite oh. maybe for oh, Oshkosh this year. Definite maybe. And uh, Yeah, we're, we're uh, doing some wheeling and dealing with some properties here in Florida, and it's ah. right during that week, and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. I'm trying. Oh, we hope to see you there. And Russ, will you see you there, hopefully? I will be there uh, for the second half of the show, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Cool. And big announcement. There is somebody who's never been to Oshkosh before, but but just got a schedule two days ago, and I am going to Oshkosh. Imagine Yay! that. Yay! I have no place to stay. Ooh. That's okay. I'm going to get up there, rent a car, and uh, anybody has a place they want to rent me or any other you know, couch that I could sleep on, just let me know. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, uh, any suggestions, are, I'm open to them. Uh, but I got a feeling I'm going to be staying far away from the airport and have to drive in every day uh, unless uh, I can find other alternative means. As you can tell, I haven't done much planning yet. I was sure I wasn't going to get off. But I learned how to do my schedule and do some bidding. Someone taught me a few things, and I was able to get the whole week off. So I am definitely going to make it up there, uh, and I cannot wait because I have never seen this show. It's, it's an exciting experience, I know. That's for sure. It's going to be great to have you there. Oh, I can't wait. I want to see Camp Bacon. I want to see, you know, just the size of the of the event. Uh, I've been to a lot of big air shows, but uh, nothing bring like Bring your that. good walking shoes. I will. I'll bring two pair, as a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, just in case I get some muddy. And sometimes it rains up there right here. Uh, so I definitely want to it check does. it out. It does. Once, once during the week, usually, we'll have just a really good downpour. Yeah, well, well. hopefully we'll see the other people there. Just uh, I'll have my orange shirt on. Hopefully some of the other folks there will have their orange shirts on. Come come see us and get your stuck mic selfie. Now entering cruise flight. Anyway, moving on to our, our cruise flight. Our topic uh, today is uh, deviations. And uh, some of the it's interesting because one of the reasons I came up with this, other than the fact that I was reminded of all these deviations uh, during my CFI renewal, is the fact that I, I think that we just don't uh, sometimes stress enough certain deviations, how to avoid them in our training. And uh, what I'm finding is in all the research, and I, I know everybody has seen this, is that it's pretty consistent, the deviations that are happening. We're going to go through some of those deviations, both VFR and IFR deviations, and then all, not just define them, but also you know, give some advice as to what you can do to avoid some of those deviations. So let's get started with that, with the common pilot deviations. We're going to start with VFR pilots. And uh, interestingly is uh, the one that's in the about three quarters, three quarters of all the deviations that we're talking about in the VFR world are uh, actually airspace violations. You know, and that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, airspace violations meaning that uh, we bust airspace, we go into airspace that we weren't cleared into. Uh, we forget about not just the the lateral boundaries, but also the vertical boundaries of airspace. And uh, and there's many reasons that happens. Uh, one thing that we that I tell people to do is really do a lot of planning when you're when you're looking at your airspace. And interestingly. Um, a lot of deviations, and we talk about VFR pilots, but VF, flying VFR, even though you're on an IFR flight plan, can cause some of these violations. And what do I mean by that? This is, and people are like, well, how could that happen? It can. Because sometimes, especially folks that are airline pilots that listen to this, know that we can actually get below 
our uh, class Bravo airspace and uh, and go too fast, and that actually can be uh, considered an airspeed violation. But it's usually be due to the fact that we don't know where we are from the class Bravo. And I know the controllers are supposed to tell us that we're below class Bravo. You're you're leaving class Bravo and you're below that, but doesn't happen all the time. And you need to slow down below uh, to 200 knots or less. And boy, it, it happens quite often. So it's good to, to actually know the boundaries of that and have that uh, either a, a VOR dialed in, uh, whatever you want to do with your FMS or, or your GPS, have that pulled up as far as where is that airspace. So that's quite important. Some of the ways that uh, we can, and we'll talk a little bit about this, how we teach our students to try to you know not violate that airspace. Uh, number one is just do some planning. Uh, I know sometimes we like to just look up in the sky and say, hey, let's go up there and let's get in it and have some fun and fly around. Uh, I'm guilty of it too. I just uh, take a look at my charts and uh, I look at my iPad say, hey, you know, what could go wrong? And uh, sometimes, you know, our iPads fail. We forgot to update the iPad. And, uh, and not only that, we fly using our GPS and get a little bit too close to the airspace. And we should give ourselves a little bit more room uh, especially on the GPS. So I'm wanting to hear from some of our, our flight instructors that fly in, in airspace, especially Tom. I know you're, you are around, and, and Russ too, as far as uh, airspace and Class Bravo. Tom, what is it you do trying to teach your students not to, to violate that? I mean, 75% of these are VFR violations through airspace. Uh, what, what advice do you give your students? Um, for me, it's mostly just, you know, like you said, planning, paying attention, knowing where you are at all times, situational awareness, just being on top of where you are. And you're right. Um, you know, I teach in a pretty, you know, it's it's not your New York or Dallas kind of airspace, but um, you know, I'm flying out of a class Delta that's got a class Bravo over the top of it. Um, there's uh, several other deltas in the area. There's a military base. Uh, there's a non-towered field right in the area as well. So, and we have the ocean next to us. So, you know, there's big corridors that run up and down the beach and in and out of these airports. So, not only is there a lot of airspace, it's busy with air traffic as well. And, um, you know, you're right that it gets violated around here all the time. And and I only know that because I, I was uh, surprised one time and had made a visit to one of uh, to the control tower at the at the airport airport that I'm at and was talking to these controllers, you know, and when they started giving me the numbers of how many people just bust right through their airspace, through the Delta, through the Bravo, I was just blown away. I just had no idea that there were that many people just flying through, not even talking to anybody. And, and it's just, you know, makes me kind of watch things very closely these days. Um, you know, the the advent of ADSB and, and having an ADSB receiver where I can see where a lot of other traffic is that I normally wouldn't have seen has, has really helped a lot of that because uh, I'm scared of people in airspaces now knowing that uh, they're flying through without talking to anybody. And that's a great case for ADSB, and that's a good example. And I'm, I would have loved to hear that conversation. I wonder what the controller said. Did they have any suggestions uh, and and maybe make some comments as to what they think could happen to change all those violations? Absolutely, and that's that's what the level that we were talking on. I had brought some students up into the control tower, which you can do as long as you're a U.S. citizen. They welcome people to come in up for visits. So uh, I tend to bring all of my students up there at least once so that they can see the faces of people they're talking to, get a view of what they're seeing, because actually the view out of our control tower is pretty cool. You know, you're a pretty good distance off the ground. You're looking over the airfield, and, and you can see things um, standing still. But having that conversation, and what they suggested was just that, what I was telling you about making 
making sure that my students are situationally aware. What is going on, that they're planning their flight routes, that they're understanding where they are and, and not letting themselves uh, deviate from that. And if they do deviate from that, they need to figure out how they can get good information so they're not blowing through airspaces. You know, um, Florida here, we're real busy, you know, in this area, the Tampa Bay area, and then it butts up against where you're at over towards Orlando and that airspace, it gets real busy over there as well. And I'm sure they have similar problems. Yeah, so it really is has been a problem, and it's continuing to be a problem. So one of the things I would challenge anybody here listening that's a CFI is to, to really hammer this home with your students, just like uh, what Tom said. I thought that was a great example. Uh, but also, if you're flying and you don't plan to be with an instructor or an instructor, make sure you do a lot of planning around airspace. It's, it's very, very important. Don't just blast off and go check it out and say, hey, look at this, I'm flying. Uh, I'm, hey, oh, by the way, what's that big building? Oh, it's a control tower. Why did I just fly by that? It happens. I mean, it's amazing. Just like you said, there's just too many people out there. ADSB is going to help, uh, but still, it's not going to stop deviations it's just going to help us that aren't uh, know where everybody else is so we really have to get the word out uh everybody does we're all part of that community Russ, you know i was wondering um uh, can you add to that as far as what you do to suggest to your students uh what they can do to avoid those vfr deviations into airspace well, i don't have a whole lot to add that tom didn't already co- cover i thought he did a real good job we have Kind of a similar situation, I guess, to him is we have a couple of Ds underneath a uh, class Charlie here. And one of the things that I see routinely when I'm flying out of specifically one of those class D airports is it's underneath the shelf of the the overlying class Charlie. So, And that shelf is at about, well, from relative to the Delta airport, it's about 1,200 feet above the ground. So you've got to take off and and level off before before you bust the airspace there. And what I see a lot is... Pilots know about that, but you're not really in that leveling off at cruise mindset at 1,200 feet above the ground, right? So you kind of level off, but maybe you don't do it quite as um, well as you would have. (laughs) You you don't retrim properly because it's only going to be for a few miles, and then the the aircraft gradually kind of drifts up. And and I've had some cases where we've been really, really close to, to getting deviations based on that. And it's just, it's just awareness. Like Tom was saying, you know, briefing your flight and knowing where all the airspace is, especially these, the vertical boundaries, you know, the 3d boundaries that we, you don't really uh, think of necessarily when you're looking at a map. So Larry, I think you had a suggestion as far as a, uh, you know, or comment on uh, VFR into some of these different airspaces and, and some of your experiences. Yeah, you know, one one of the particular types of airspace that um, is common this time of year, really through the fall and, and you know, late fall, um, but as you're starting to, you know, fly again, you know, maybe if you're getting a late start this, this summer or this spring getting back into the air, um, are stadium TFRs, hmm. you know, because they are not charted anywhere on paper charts. Uh, I use ForeFlight, which does have them, and, and looking as we're recording this here in Milwaukee, um, there is a stadium t- uh, TFR for the Phillies playing the Brewers um, on the 15th, uh, 6.10 p.m. to 1.10 uh, a.m. Uh, and right now in Chicago, there's uh, in the, uh, sorry, the Indians playing the White Sox um, uh, tonight, 6.10 p.m. until 1.10 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, but because these just sort of pop up randomly, you know, seemingly randomly based on the schedule of the games, 
um, you know, if a game is delayed and it runs late or whatever, you know, you're still responsible for that. So um, not being a particularly avid baseball fan, I wouldn't know who's playing whom or when or where. Um, but uh, the airspace that I could normally fly through VFR uh, is airspace that may be off limits to me on a certain day and a certain time. And I think generally these go up to 3,000 feet above the surface. And um, I want to say they're six miles in diameter typically. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so it's typically not going to be something that is uh, uh, IFR relevant. Uh, but for VFR pilots, especially if you're taking a friend on a sightseeing flight around the city or something like that, you know, you definitely want to check those stadium TFRs. And that's a great point, Larry. I'm glad you brought that up because that's another big part of, of VFR uh, violations is the fact that we're running into TFRs. And it's happening quite often. Uh, I know at work I have to monitor 121.5, and I hear that about once every other week. Uh, you know, aircraft 30 miles south of such and such a VOR. Uh, you know, this is United States Air Force. We are, you know, you have uh, encroached on, t- on a, a restricted area. You've entered a restricted area or, or uh, other, you know, verbiage as such. Uh, please head, you know, su- you know such and such heading. Uh, if you're on 21.5, please, please acknowledge your ident, rock your wings, that type of thing. It's, it's pretty interesting hearing all that. And we, this is actually one of those things I honestly think, it's gotten better, but it's really easy to do is to violate those TFRs. And um, so how do we violate those TFRs? It's because we don't know or why. And one of the things that I think is that we really need to start doing a better job of calling and and asking, hey, are there any TFRs in the area? And uh, And then having those devices that allow us to get updates as to TFRs, everything that you can have, in your airplane and in your in your kit, make sure you realize that that's a good thing to have because we really need to have updates as to when those TFRs are popping up. Of course, another way to avoid that is actually filing IFR. If you're an instrument-rated pilot, I know VFR flying is great, and there's a, a lot of folks that fly VFR but file IFR flight plans all the time just because of the fact that they're they're so afraid of of uh, violating those TFRs. A great reason to get your instrument rating too, uh, other than the challenge. But how do we how do we go about avoiding those TFRs? Uh, obviously, again, it's through making that call to flight service, but also looking online. And Larry, it's kind of interesting about what you talked about the stadium uh, TFRs. Are you now in that habit of looking those up when you do go flying? Yeah, the, you know, I use ForeFlight, and so I, I'm looking at that before every flight, whether it's VFR or IFR. Um, even when I'm going out and towing gliders, you know, in the summertime, um, you know, I'm never more than a couple miles from the airport, and the airport has a grass strip, and we're out kind of in the middle of nowhere. But if there's a um, presidential TFR in Milwaukee, it will come out and just sort of touch the edge of that uh, airport. So um, even on a day when you think, oh, I'm just going to do a little bit of work in the pattern or whatever, you just never know uh, what could be popping up. So whether you check it on, you know, um, uh, a tool like ForeFlight or any of the other good uh, EFB tools that are out there, um, or if you call flight service or whatever, just tell them what you're doing and, and ask for what might be in your way. 
Well, the TFRs can also the motivation to not violate a TFR and to actually look it up. I know it's a pain, uh, but it's it's good to do. Is the fact that you could lose your certificates. I've known a few people have lost their certificates. I've known airline pilots. I've known folks that were uh, you know commercial pilots and uh, folks that were just you know recreational pilots losing their certificates and having to get them back again. So that can actually cost you a lot of money. It can cost you money in other ways. I'm I'm sure Victoria in the insurance world. I'm thinking that if you have any violations on your record, it's not going to probably help you when you go for uh, your insurance. I'm sure the premiums might be higher. Yeah, it really depends on the situation. Everything's different and how old it is. But usually um, any accident, incident, um, anything including a violation, um, we around here we get a lot of the DC ones um, going into the um, SFRA. And uh, they can... Uh, affect your your rates at least for like three years it's on your record for insurance you know and those gosh you're so close there too i mean you could easily bump into those i mean you you really have to go out there and and look because in your area there's a lot of folks that travel and tfrs can you know especially those folks that are important in the government and tfrs can pop up everywhere can't they yeah we um frederick airport is just outside of the sfra and it's only um, a few miles. I don't know how many, but it's just a few miles before you hit um, the SFRA. So you, you know, stop. They, the controllers transfer you over pretty quickly so you can get in with Potomac and uh, go into the SFRA if you have a flight plan to do so. And then also we're by Camp David. So that's always a ring that's always a TFR, but it is extended when uh, the president is over there. So that's something we always have to watch out for. And I make sure um, I get email notifications. So AOPA, you can sign up for those. And I think um, the uh, FAA safety team, you can do that as well. So I get email notifications. And then um, you can also call. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, one of the places I used to fly a lot was out in Crawford area in Waco, Texas, and that that it, it, TFR can expand. It just doesn't stay in one size. So that's a great point that you brought up there is to just, you know, keep watching that and making sure that, that it hasn't grown in size and you can accidentally bump into it really, really easily. So also in the special flight rules uh, area, you actually have to – uh, take a course to fly through there and also do some specific things. Some of the violations that happen there are not doing everything properly. So, uh, for instance, uh, maybe changing. I know someone who uh, violated it by changing their squawk code too quickly to 1200 and they got them for a violation, that type of thing. So you just have to be really, really, uh, you know, cognizant of that. Uh, when you're flying around there. Um, also, uh, some of the reasons that you don't want to have a, a violation of a TFR is uh, flying close to F-16s, although exciting at air shows, is not so exciting when you see them off your wing and flying by you. I've seen that a few times, and it does it does get exciting. Um, I've had them fly so close that I could hear them, and it's like, wow. Uh, you know, when you hear that, you know, having uh, a fighter, I've had them go right over top of me, too, and it's like, holy cow, you can you can actually hear the fighter inside the cockpit. Actually, I heard them before I actually saw them. That was pretty wild. But uh, anyway, so they want to avoid those those close encounters with, with fighters, that's, that's for sure. So, yeah, do, do your research on the TFRs. That's another big violation. Another one, too, that I really want to stress, by the way, 
And this is one of those ones that, uh, and I'd love to hear uh, what some other people do, but it's VFR and IMC. And this is actually the, one of the most common uh, VFR uh, deviations. It's also uh, one of the deadliest weather-related incidents in general aviation. And the reason being is I, I like to stress to my students is this, it, it, it's, you're not going to last very long if you fly VFR into IMC, especially hard IFR. And you and I do this with my students. I take them out over the water at night, VFR, go out over the Gulf or the Atlantic, and uh, as their wings pass the coast, and just let them look straight out. And they uh, get a lot of times get me into an unusual attitude uh, before we uh, are able to turn back to land. And it's kind of a little bit scary. So, you know, I, Russ, as far as that's concerned, uh, with you as far as the, the uh, VFR into IMC. How, how is it that you, you know, it's, it's hard to do, I think, sometimes to try to stress to them this is really, really bad. How do you do that? How are you able to get that across to your students that this is so important not to run into IMC if you're a VFR pilot? Well, it is much harder out here uh, than just being able to fly over the water. That's a little bit longer flight for us <laughs> from Oklahoma to get to the water. <laughs> but uh, we do have large, dark areas in Oklahoma that we can accomplish a lot of that same thing on the night flying. And I think that you know, for private pilots, that's one of the things I try to, to do with them during the, the required night flight portion of the curriculum is to get them out there and show them how disorienting it can be. And that, that serves as a, uh, you know, example of, of exactly what you're talking about, you know, VFR and IMC. And, uh, what, yeah, I've had several situations where once the person sees it, like, Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I get it. I get it now. Um, I haven't yet had the opportunity to take a, uh, VF, a VFR private pilot student into IMC, you know, on a, uh, instrument flight plan or something, but I think that might be an interesting idea. I'd have to think about that too. Obviously I'd be the uh, pilot in command in that case, but that would, that would definitely show the, uh, the very real effects. Yeah, that's for sure. It's just one of the things that you have to do is make sure you do it safely. And, you know, getting them in a simulator is, is interesting, but also having them feel everything like the G-forces and stuff like that, especially if they, you know, get out there with an aerobatic airplane, let them get you upside down. And that's a lot of fun is when you're out there and, and then you tell your student, okay, uh, just close your eyes and, and start doing turns now and recover. Uh, it's like, wow. And then, then let them do it uh, with a view-limiting device, and the, they start saying to themselves, gee, I don't know which way is up because I'm really not good at this. That's a great reason to get some, some VFR, excuse me, some instrument flying skills. But with that said, I think another thing that, that we go down this path of, hey, listen, I got some instrument training. I think I'm ready to do this. That, that IFR skill is one of those things that degrades, I think, very quickly. So even IFR pilots, I think, should really limit their, themselves to flying IFR unless they are current, but current within what they feel is current. And, and proficient is the big thing. Uh, and that's something I like to really drive home because you do see this, this uh, people having problems, having accidents and incidents when they're flying IFR and they already have instrument ratings. But you find out later that they just did, you know, an IPC. They hadn't flown in five years IFR and they get themselves in trouble. So we want to avoid that. So make sure you really drive that home, too. Uh, and it really is something that uh, it, it bugs me because uh, I'll probably get some hate mail on this one. One of the things I see on the Internet, and some other people can comment on this, is 
yeah, I always say that if you're going to fly VFR and IMC, you're probably not going to make it out. Well, I see a lot of videos. I see people talking about how they flew IFR and they were able to get out of IMC. And uh, some of those times, I actually watched some of those videos and realized that, yeah, it's, it's IFR, it's IMC, but it's not truly hard IFR where they can't see outside. You know, they're able to, to actually see the ground in a lot of the videos. Some are in the clouds for a little while, that type of thing. Uh, the only downside to some of that stuff that you see and you see on the bulletin boards is it's a little bit of negative learning. We really, it's hard to stress to students and to, to fellow flyers that you really shouldn't do this because you're going to get yourself hurt. Uh, so I, I really, you know, I, this came up recently. That's why I'm mentioning it. It's like, well, here, here's a good example. And I can go on YouTube and find like 10 videos of, of VFR pilots that flew into IMC and, and made it out okay. And uh, and that's actually, you know, I think it's hurting the cause uh, to, to push this forward. So I think that's that's important to stress that. Uh, how do we do that? Uh, I don't know. It's it's tough to make that case when you see people that are successfully doing it. Uh, but try to get your students out there and show them. Uh, this is the way it is. It, it's, it's, it's something that can be very, very deadly. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Another thing as far as uh, the VFR flying, and there's just a couple more things, is you know, inoperative equipment, uh, those are some deviations that we have. In other words, you get a ramp check and something's not working and you, you didn't really check it, that type of thing. Uh, Low-level flight's another big one. Uh, people buzzing uh, houses and things like that. I know it's really cool to go and, and take pictures and show off and stuff like that, but never a good thing, and it does uh, sometimes lead to you know, some collisions with terrain. And uh, another thing I see sometimes is flight instructors going out and doing uh, some maneuvers really low to the ground and, you know, quick pull-ups and stuff like that. Not Never a good thing. And that's, you know, again, negative learning there. So uh, something we really want to want to stay away from. Uh, but interestingly, the uh, over all of the, just as an aside, I guess, uh, GA pilots deviations account for 80% of all the runway incursions. That's another thing is, is runway incursions is knowing where you are on the airport. So uh, that's really, really important. I really want, I want to kind of uh, focus on that one as far as, as going around the airport, uh, trying to maneuver your aircraft from point A to point B. And those are like their surface issues, whatever you want to call them, the the runway and taxiway incursions, like being in a place that you're you shouldn't be. So we're gonna that's our last VFR one uh, is you know how do we prevent uh, runway incursions and and taxiway incursions and and studying the diagrams and things like that. We hear that, et cetera. But how do we get into that mindset of, of doing that? At the airlines, it's easy. Uh, we have all these procedures, and we still have problems. We have two people. You're supposed to both have the charts out, et cetera, and follow those charts. If the other person doesn't have the chart out, well, the first thing we do is we stop and say, hey, get out your chart. And if someone says, what are you doing? Well, we're stopping because we're having to get our charts out, and we need a little bit of time. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're lost, you just stop. So I know, uh, Russ, you actually fly in some pretty uh, big airports with lots of taxiways. What are some of the methodologies you use to teach your students about actually taxiing around to avoid some of the runway and, and taxiway incursions? Well, the main thing that I started thinking about as you were talking about stopping and, and checking out, <laughs> looking at the taxiway diagram was a flight I did into DFW airport uh, in a small general aviation airplane a couple years ago. And I was with another pilot, and we had a reason to go there. But 
I mean, the, the flight down was fine. It was easy. You know, but we landed and taxing was the hard part. You know, the, the taxiways are very wide. They're designed for airliners and it was, you know, the taxiway signs are way far off to the side where we weren't used to looking for them and just this massive pavement. So it took us quite a while to, to taxi because both of us were, you know, we had the chart out and we're both double checking our, our taxi clearance. We wrote it down, uh, of course. And, and it, it took a while and took a lot of effort to just a taxi there. But, you know, in that case, that's what you need to do. And the other, the flip side of that is flying somewhere that you're used to. Maybe you're based at a, a you know, a towered field and, and you're used to, you know, every time you taxi out, if the wind's from a certain direction and you're, you're going to be using a certain runway, you know that the taxi instructions are going to be exactly the same thing over and over again. And, and it's that way just about every time you go fly. And, there's a term for that. I, I'm not sure what it is, but it was hearing what you want to hear, or that kind of thing. Uh, and maybe this day the taxi instructions are a little bit different, and maybe you even read it back correctly. But you're such in that routine of going, you know, going down to one taxiway, turning on to taxiway Alpha, then Bravo, whatever. That you, it's just like your mind is on autopilot, and you, and you just kind of do that without even really thinking. So what you need to do is. Pretty much every step along the way, okay, this is, I'm coming up to alpha. Do I turn on alpha? Yes, I do. Okay, so, and, then, and then proceed. And just, just be really careful, especially, like I said, at those places that you're very, very familiar with. And to add to that, Russ, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of this. I fly at this one airport where they always tell us to taxi Hotel Alpha Sierra to the runway. And I actually start writing down Hotel Alpha Sierra before the controller has told it to me. And that's not good right, either, is right. it? Right, <laughs> exactly. You're so used to it, you just didn't learn to expect it. And then if there's something different, it, 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 can, uh, it can really cause problems. I'm glad you brought that up. So one of the things we should be doing is, is writing this down somehow. Uh, it doesn't have to be on a uh, paper. It could actually be somewhere else, like on a tablet or some other device that you have down there. But it's good... Uh, habit to get into is to always, always write that down. And some of them can be really complex. You know, Hotel Alpha Sierra holds short of 2-2 right. And uh, you're like, okay, Hotel Alpha Sierra short 2-2 right. How do I write that down? And you come up with a little shorthand to do that. Uh, it's, it's quite important to do that. I know um, we also, Tom, you actually fly, and I think you're still flying out, a pretty complex airport that has a few runway incursions and some hot spots there. Tom, is there something else that we can do maybe to figure out where those hotspots are? Oh, I, I know that you can find them on the, on the taxi diagrams. You know, they, they're, they mark the, they mark the hotspots on the taxi diagrams. I don't think we have any hotspots at, at, at the airport I'm at. Um, none other, none other published, but, um, there are several airports that I fly into that have them, you know, and they're generally areas where, uh, the air traffic control tower has a hard time seeing it, or there's been just so many incursions there that it's, that, that it's been deemed as a hotspot. Um, you know, and, and I too, again, it's, it's back to that, that whole planning thing is, is one of the things that goes with this as well. You know, the writing it down, great suggestion, but, um, you know, I find my students get overwhelmed. You look at it on a taxi diagram, you do all your pre-flight planning, and then you go through all the process of flying, you land on the ground, you pull off the runway and all of a sudden there's just this open expanse and you got to kind of figure out your way through it. And uh, you're right, stopping, asking for directions, getting progressive taxi, those are all valid uh, and good ideas to do if you don't know exactly where you're at. And, you know, ask the controller. If you don't know, ask. 
I love what you just said, progressive taxi. No one said that yet, but I think it's a great idea. Uh, you know, another thing you can say if you don't want to use that word is, uh, you know, I'm unfamiliar. Uh, can you give me uh, instructions? And they'll say, okay, don't worry, we'll get you there. And uh, just say to them, hey, I don't know where that is on the airport. You could have flown to an airport a million times, but now you're going to some other place on that same airport, but you've never been to that, that specific location. You know, I've actually asked for a progressive in Lakeland. That's right here because I didn't know how to get to a, a certain uh, avionics shop. And I was like, gosh, which taxi would I go down again? And they actually told me. So don't don't be embarrassed by that by any means. Uh, so that was it for our VFR violations and deviations. And uh, I think that was a really good discussion. We do uh, like to also stress that there's many ways around this. And, and there's many tools that people use. Uh, some people draw the whole diagram of where they're going to taxi. The only problem with that is that if they change it, you're going to have to redraw the whole thing. But I'd love to hear from from you, the listener, as far as what you do and some of your experiences. And I'd love to hear some of uh, different challenges you had and maybe some deviations you've had. Obviously, we won't use your name, but uh, and love to hear some of the things that have happened to you. Of course, go to stuckmikeavcast.com and, and just send us a comment on there. Moving on to the to the next thing as far as deviations, and that's in the IFR category. That's for us that that fly IFR and uh, in the in the IFR system. Whether you're learning uh, how to fly IFR, this is a really important thing. Uh, one of the things that I stress, and this is the one deviation that uh, happens. Uh, it's going to happen to you probably. Uh, it may not happen in an environment where you're actually flying IFR. It might be in a training environment. But it probably will happen. It happens about 65% of the time, and that's altitude deviations. Incredibly, incredibly common to do that. Uh, by deviations, we mean you know overshoots and undershoots, and also not just overshoots and undershoots, but excursions from that altitude. You know, maybe you know forgetting to turn the autopilot on or something like that. <laughs> you know, just kind of not not staying on your altitude, that type of thing. Once you start moving away from about 300 feet, you're going to get a uh, you probably get a call from ATC uh, asking you what your altitude is, and uh, and you know one of the most important things to do is if you are off your altitude, you tell them you're correcting, uh, but you know don't lie to them because they're going to figure it out pretty quickly. I have one tool that I use, and uh, I've been using this for years from the airlines, and I think it's a great tool. Is uh, pointing at the altitude and saying, "Okay, uh, you know." 5,000 feet, and I point and say 5,000 feet, there's something physical happening. Also, one of the things I, I started using on my altimeter is, you know, yeah, you can actually place on there uh, a little, either a piece of plastic or something like that. They even sell them where you can actually show where, where you're going to. And I think that's really important uh, is not only, you know, saying it, like say you're at 1,000 feet and they clear to 5,000 feet, is also remembering uh, that you have to stop at 5,000 feet. And either at 500 or 1,000 feet before you get there, you kind of say to yourself and say it out loud. It really does help to physically do something like pointing and saying, you know, 4,000 for 5,000. And uh, it gets the, your brain moving more and all those synapses jumping in there saying, okay, you know, hey, I'm doing something. Now I need to really concentrate and make sure I don't overshoot that altitude or undershoot if I'm, uh, you know, descending or, or even undershoot while I'm climbing. Did I make it to the right altitude? Uh, by by uh, undershooting and overshooting, one of the things that helps is actually practicing levels, leveling off. Turns, climbs, and descents, IFR, 
uh, by far is the biggest problem. I do you know a lot of stuff for in the Aviation Careers podcast, and one of the stresses we have is getting to a simulator. Uh, most people have problems when they get to the airlines with climbs, turns, descents, and tracking is the other thing that's really important. Um, interesting. I'd like to hear from from some of those the IFR flyers. Uh, you know what have what's your experience and and how do you avoid uh, some of those deviations from your uh, from your altitude? So, uh, actually, I'll, you know, Victoria, are you you uh, have experience with this? And what is some of the stuff that you remember doing in your training as far as trying not to mess up on the altitude? I think um, instrument training and instrument flying was different than me for than VFR. VFR, I could kind of relax and have some fun. But when it came to IFR, you know, I wasn't as chatty. I was always focused because, you know, you only have so much leeway. And it, it's embarrassing sometimes when you hear over the radio, you know, and number, uh, say altitude, and you're like, oh, crap. You know, that's that's their polite way of calling you out. Um, and when I flew um, IFR, I never had an autopilot. So it was always up to me. And it was just uh, keeping that scan going was really important just developing a good scan that um, you would catch immediately if you went off. And one of the things too is that you know just looking at the the instrument that is important for your altitude keep that first hey there's the altimeter that type of thing. Uh, there's a, a couple other reasons that we might uh, deviate from our altitude too. Larry can you think of some? Yeah, um, one, you know, sort of obvious one, except it can be uh, a little bit disorienting if you're not thinking about it, is do you have your altimeter set correctly? Because you could have, um, uh, you know, in a climb or something, you know, you're climbing to 5,000 feet or whatever, and you don't set your altimeter correctly, uh, and you level off at what you think is 5,000 feet, and they say, you know, say altitude or... um, you know, are you taking the scenic route to 5,000 feet or whatever they, whatever they say. Um, and, uh, you look at it, it's 5,000 feet and, you know, you, you sort of go blank almost in terms of, you know, what's wrong, what am I missing, you know, whatever, but making sure that altimeter is set correctly is a big deal. Um, in the DA 40 that I flew, uh, as part of our club in Madison, um, there were three different altimeters, uh, settings that you had to set. Um, uh, you know, one was on the backup, uh, mechanical altimeter, one was on the G1000 and one was on the uh, autopilot. And so if you missed one of those, you know, maybe you got distracted and you only did two out of three or whatever, you know, you could uh, end up at a place that you didn't know you were at and didn't know why. Right. Yeah. Also, that can be disoriented when, you know, they're asking you what your altitude is and you are, it's 4,000. I'm telling you guys, it's reading 4,000. Like, okay, we're showing 4,600. And now you know that there's a problem you know, with your transponder or something, then they can they can actually tell you, okay, we're not going to show you, you know, 600 feet off, that kind of thing. Uh, so that can be disoriented too because you think you're doing something wrong. One of the things that the air traffic controller will do is tell you the altimeter setting. So that kind of helps out there, you know, as far as making sure you do have the setting in there. And you're going to hear that, you know, every 100 miles or so or uh, with a new controller, they're going to tell you what the altimeter setting is. You're going to hear it on the ATIS, but you may be far enough away or if – things are changing quickly, you know, the dropping, raising pressures, you know, you might want to, you know, make sure you change it to the, to the correct uh, setting. That's for sure. One of the things too, is that it's did, you know, one of the things that we can do is look at it and say, Hey, 
you know, am I reading it properly? And that's actually, I think, Larry, you were going to bring up that, weren't you, as far as the point, as far as, you know, if they give you an altimeter setting, maybe we put it in there wrong, right, Larry? Yeah, I mean, I've I've done it before. Fortunately, not in in IMC, but um, you know, you you know, they say you know, altimeter sending two nine or nine or two, and for whatever reason, you hear two eight nine or two, or or maybe you just dial two eight nine or two because you're wearing the wrong set of glasses and think it's twenty nine ninety two, and um, you know, all of a sudden you're off by a pretty significant amount there, right? <laughs> and that is a big amount, you know. That's where we we really need to make sure that we have that properly in the window. Just look at everything, just calmly relax, figure out what's wrong. I know sometimes when the controllers call us, we get all nervous, that type of thing. Uh, but it's something that's that's really important is to make sure you're on your proper altitude. And of course, that's for separation. Uh, another thing that's important for separation, and another the second most common uh, deviation, especially in IFR, is course deviations and this is kind of interesting because this happens often uh, and I hear this a lot even up in the flight levels is people mismanaging their GPS or their FMS or whatever system you have whatever S you have just make sure that you understand how it works and you know what's interesting how things have, have really progressed is people have problems figuring out how to intercept a VOR you know, how do I punch that into my system? And, that, and and I want you, if you're listening right now, if I told you to go direct to a VOR, you could do that, right? But if I told you to intercept the 130 radial inbound to the PIE VOR, are you going to know how to do that on your GPS? And I, I bring that up. And, Tom, uh, you know, have you ever seen these challenges with, with these type of deviations, especially with people that are new to this GPS? When, I, when you tell them, hey, can you, you know, intercept the 130 radial inbound, do you see any issues with that? Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 takes a lot of, it takes a little bit of forethought to even do that. And, you know, um, being skilled at using that device is going to help as well. You know, um, a lot of us playing with the VOR and, and trying to intercept courses like that um, takes, takes some planning. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, a lot of my students, I've, I noticed that they, uh, they struggle with that. You know, so I, I, I take them on flights and specifically give them, um, you know, things like that to intercept. And I do that um, not only for intercepting and tracking back to the VOR, but also for, you know, I just pick arbitrary places to practice holding patterns. And, and it's done the same way. I'll pick a radial off of a VOR with a certain distance and hold in a certain direction. You know, <laughs> that brings up a good point. I, I The other day I was flying, the guy told me to hold, and I was like only, I was really close to the holding point. I had, he said, hold is published. So another thing you have to do is figure out how to put that in your device when it's, they say hold is published and say it's a, you know, a radial from a VOR or it's on an airway. Now I got to put it into my GPS and say it's 10 mile legs. Now I have to figure out how to do 10 mile legs. And if you're listening right now and you don't know how to do that, I challenge you to go ahead and check out your GPS and figure out how to do those legs and, and how to actually put that into your GPS receiver. Uh, you know, and, and Russ, I know you do a lot of instrument training and a lot of flight instructing IFR. Uh, do you also see some of these challenges with the, uh, with the GPS where you're teaching? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of additional to add to what Tom said, but he's exactly right. You know, we, we drill on those things and I set up scenarios and because we, we do get actually one of the most common departure clearances out of this area is to a 
radial and uh, DME fix. Now, you don't ever really typically get there before they've rerouted you some other way. But but that'll generally be in just about every clearance you get going from here down, uh, usually down south towards the, the Dallas area. So you got to know how to do it. And, of course, it's important in, in the lost comm type scenario as well. Uh, you're expecting radar vectors, you know, after you depart, but maybe you don't get that. Maybe you lose comm. So you need to know how to do those those basic uh, VOR navigation skills. So also another part of that GPS is putting, you just talked about departures and say a procedure or just simply an airway. Uh, sometimes we get some amendments to our clearance and say, uh, you know, we actually have to fly a certain route, like a Victor Airway to Victor 125 to Victor 25. And, uh, you know, we have to figure out how to put that into our GPS or whatever system. For those of us who switch from airplane to airplane, it can be a little bit challenging, and it's uh, something that really, if you're going to go fly IFR with that equipment, make sure you know how to do that. I would say with with us at work, that's one of the biggest problems is people uh, don't read, first of all, the clearance, or you see the same clearance over and over. You put the airway in, and then you realize that, oh, wait a minute, it's not to the VOR, it's to a fix on that airway and then they now want me to go to another fix and now another airway also punching it in correctly is is very important so there's a couple things number one we may not know how to actually program the device right we don't know how to program the gps or we don't have a lot of experience doing it number two is verifying it we have to constantly verify what we do so one of the ways that i i try to just follow along during the flight and make sure that i'm actually on the route that i said i should be on on my clearance it's hard to do because if you fly the same route out of an airport like oak city and you're like oh yeah i'll do take this victory airway to that and you do it like 10 times the 11th time they decide to do something different and you punch in the wrong thing you're gonna you're gonna hear on the on the uh <laughs> on the frequency it's like what's your heading for that fix and uh you know say heading and say where you're going and are you you know i show you f 10 miles off the airway that can be really really embarrassing that's for sure so make sure you go over those things also, um, another thing on, on the IFR side of things is airspeed violations. That's uh, the third most common, uh, more common actually for the commercial aircraft than the GA aircraft because uh, you're going to see uh, bigger variances in speeds. You know, as you're descending, doing 340 knots, and then they tell you to slow to 240 knots, and then you forget, you see the 4-0, and you're like, oh, no. I'm supposed to be at 240 knots and not 340, and then they ask you what your airspeed is. You know, you kind of fess up, that kind of thing. Or if you remember, say, I'm slowing, <laughs> say, nope, I'm okay. But uh, there are times when they'll tell you, hey, listen, slow to a, you know, 120 knots or increase your speed to 120 knots or slow to 90 knots. And uh, if you don't do that, their spacing is going to be a little bit off and possibly uh, vector you around. Another thing you see as far as, um, and I, in some of these busier airports is they'll ask you, Hey, can you maintain 130 knots? Uh, because I got another airliner coming in and that type of thing. So make sure you try as hard as you can to, to keep those airspeeds. And as you move up to say a faster airplane, uh, you know, Cirrus, et cetera, it becomes more important because you have a much wider range of speeds on those aircraft. So really make sure you do that. And some other things too, by the way, uh, and we won't go all over all these is, uh, 
reporting points, compulsory reporting points. A lot of people don't know how to actually do a reporting point and actually uh, how to actually give their position and what they're doing, you know, with their call sign, your position, the time over the point, the altitude, and and then, you know, when you expect to be at your next and then what's the one after that. And that's really important to know how to do that. So practice, practice those reporting points, especially if you go outside of the the radar environment and i think uh tom I, I don't know if you've been down to the keys but i think there's a point where that does happen uh where you actually have to report especially at certain altitudes uh so it's important to actually tell them where you are isn't it oh absolutely you know you you, you want to always let the controller know where you're at and then i was looking for those reporting points i don't think i've had anywhere i've come across going down to the Keys, um, down the West Coast, where I've had to do a mandatory reporting. I know there's a, you go out to the Bahamas, there's all sorts of, because there's no radar environments out there, so they have mandatory reporting points. Right. But I can't remember one down on the Keys. Yeah, well, that's good. Out West as well. And out West, yes. Yeah, and that's, uh, and, you know, of course, at work, I'm always, you know, we're out outside of radar, so we're constantly doing them. And uh, it's interesting to see people that don't fly over, the ocean much and and you get out there and there's you have to do your reports and they forget how to do them so uh one of the things that i see people do and i think it's a great idea is have a cheat sheet on how to do that point and you know what to say and write it down so you know that you're you're doing it properly and i think it's a, it's a great idea to, to go that route well, gosh, you know, this has actually been, there's all these, these deviations we've talked about. There's uh, certain ways that we can get around those, those deviations. And one of the things that, that we should do is just make sure that, that we try as hard as we can not to run into these specific things, but there's so many more. Uh, the biggest thing in my, my mind is preparation and training. You know, before you go fly, try to think of all the different things you're going to do along your route. If you feel like that, this may be a, a little bit beyond you because this is a new GPS or something for you. Go out and get some training and, and talk to somebody. There's so many cool ways to do that, you know, on simulators, et cetera. Get in the airplane with an instructor and ask them what they do. You know, start start going through that. Also, another thing, too, is is getting into certain habits when you fly. Sometimes it's hard to break those habits. I know I've had some bad habits that, you know, were pointed out to me and, it took me some time, I think it was like six months to change that to something different because uh, it's hard when you've done something so long. But once you're in the new habit pattern, it stays with you for a really long time. Uh, some great, there, there's been some great discussion, but we'd love to hear from you some of your experiences. Uh, and these are the, there's some really neat uh, things out there, especially with AOPA, and uh, they have some cool videos and and there's stuff in the faasafety.gov they have some really good uh courses on deviations and how to avoid them but just remember to try to keep yourself away from those deviations because it can cost you you know money it can cost you your certificate and possibly cost your life so you really want to try as hard as you can to concentrate on those and uh, if you're an instructor try to stress some of these things ask your students hey do you know how to put in this airway in your gps uh do you know where the airspace is do you know where it ends where's the edge of the airspace uh right now can you tell me how many miles from that airspace are we are so those are the kind of things that, that are fun to go over and they're challenging also so uh, great discussion, guys and gals. We really enjoyed it. Our picks of the week. We now are going to move into our picks of the week. Our picks of the week. Uh, let's see. Let's start with Russ. What is your pick of the week? 
Oh, my pick of the week is, is just a, a fun one. There's a, uh, a, a friend of mine, Brian Turner, who lives down in uh, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he has a YouTube channel. And I, I hate it when people tell me things are funny because then I go watch them and maybe I don't agree with that they were quite as funny as the person made it out to be. So let's just say his videos are highly entertaining. <laughs> um, we'll have the link in the, uh, in the the show notes, but his YouTube channel is called Just Plain Silly. And it's mostly satire work, uh, some things like that. Aerobatics and a Cirrus is his most recent video. Uh, he's got Black Market Avionics, How to Stop Wasting Money. Um, you know, just, just fun stuff like, like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun, very, very harmless, fun, uh, satire type stuff, but, uh, to go check it out, it got a lot of stuff. I think a lot of people probably listen to this podcast, uh, also already know about this, but, uh, always just, uh, additional video, uh, source to check out on YouTube. Awesome. Thanks. We we'll definitely check that one out. Uh, let's see, Victoria, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, um, mine is something as exciting as it can get in the insurance industry is um, an insurance company decided to uh, add a special risks aviation branch. So we're now appointed with a new carrier that is taking those harder to insure aircraft. So think strange experimentals, some LSAs that have been hard to write in the past, um, different types of seaplanes. Uh, warbirds, uh, anything for aerobatics, fun things like that that are awesome aircraft but have had um, significantly higher rates or just harder to insure in the past. We now have access um, to a new company uh, that's backed by brokers that we've worked with with years. So they've been in the aviation industry regardless of being a new carrier. And that's um, IAT Insurance Group. So if you've been having trouble getting... um, rates for a certain aircraft, you can uh, give me a call and I can hook you up with them. Awesome. And, and by the way, if you're listening to this on your device, uh, that link that she just talked about, you can click on it while we're talking right now and it'll open up in a, a new page so that you can uh, still listen to, to what we're talking about here. That's true with all the different links that we have on here. Uh, let's see. Oh, my pick of the week is actually our uh, we, uh, Aviation Careers podcast has a bundle of courses. And in general, we are starting to put more and more courses out there, uh, even for a Stuck Mike Avcast. The courses that uh, are there that would be interesting to the, this audience especially is like our thunderstorms, hazards, and avoidance, you know, fly, flying IFR safely and practical guide to winter flying. Also the advanced holding patterns course. Uh, also in that too, for those that are looking uh, for jobs in general in aviation, and uh, it can apply to some other jobs outside aviation is the pilot jobs book course, which is really, uh, you know, a philosophy on how to get a job and really stand out in the crowd. Another thing too, just on those courses, we're going to have a courses tab on uh, Stuck Mike Avcast at the top of the page check out some of those we're going to be putting more and more out there uh one of the things we're doing at uh, aviation careers podcast is uh it's a technical interview uh course and we're going to be adding and adding to that uh it's going to be an hour video each with questions etc it might be helpful for you actually uh, getting ready for maybe an instrument check ride and uh any type of a check ride because the common errors uh that we see in interview questions uh, at the airlines are the same errors that we see in check rides 
for your private, your instrument, and your commercial rating. It's actually the same questions uh, that you'll get on, on those exams. So it's a lot of fun to, to watch that. And uh, right now it's only uh, $10 a month, and you can cancel at any time to watch all those uh, videos there. So that's my pick of the week. Uh, let's see. Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, well, this discussion about all these deviations and stuff got me to thinking. And, and uh, you know, on the practical side of this, the pick of the week I came up with is the uh, ASRS, the Aviation Safety Reporting System. You know, and according to um, the FAR aims in Part 9125, you can use this system to report deviations, whether you were at fault, whether you witnessed something or whatever. But it's almost... Can be discreet, it almost can be construed in some way, shape, or form as like a get out of jail free card. It's a way that you can write about what happened to an incident or anything that you did, and you can't be held liable for it unless it's criminal or it was part of an accident. Those things are exempted from that program. But anything else, you can report it, and you know, you have a way to put it in there, and then they can't. Uh, it, levy any enforcement against you uh, for that the incident you know and it's a great program that they put together you're porting this to nasa it is completely anonymous so you you write this in you do put your information in there but they send it all back to you they keep the information as far as the report and stuff like that and anything that has your name on it comes back to you and it's 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 erased from any of their records and i think it's an awesome system and and i've used it frequently i've had different things happen um in, in um flying that were not reported i wasn't sanctioned or anything like that it's kind of a cya thing you know and and using something like that so after our discussion tonight i thought it'd be a nice to just put that link back out there again so people are aware of it that's a, an awesome pick of the week especially what we're talking about here and uh, how much does it cost to go to that website nothing so it's a definitely a great thing to do if you think you've had a deviation to go out there or a violation etc there Go to that, report it. Uh, again, if it's something you did illegal or purposeful, uh, you may not be protected, obviously, but uh, for the most part, you know, you will be protected under this, and it's private uh, and confidential, I should say. And it's, a, it's a great system. It also helps uh, moving forward with doing research and, and concentrating on what we need to do as far as classes and, and teaching uh, our students and our pilots that are out there. So it's really important to to do that, to go out there, the ASRS system. Uh, it's real simple to do and fast to do. So great one. I like, I like that one. Uh, let's see. Our last pick of the week actually is from Larry. You have a really cool pick of the week. Yeah, uh, but before I, before I mention that, I think also on the ASRS, isn't there a way to subscribe to that so you can you know, read at least a selection of some of the incident reports that have been submitted in the last you know, quarter or whatever? I'm glad Absolutely. you brought that up. Yeah, it's a, yep. yeah it, it sure is. It's a, neat, it's a PDF file you can download and keep it on your computer. I have a whole bunch of okay. them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Larry. That was a real, real good point. Anyway, uh, so my uh, pick of the week is AirVenture, of course. Uh, coming up, I think, as we're recording this, I believe it's 40 days out. Um, so uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about going, if, you're, you know, if, you've, if you've been before and you want to go back, or if you've never been before, um, I really encourage you to think about being there. Whether you can be there for a day or you know, a couple days or all week or whatever, uh, any time there is better than no time there. Um, AirVenture.org will get you uh, to the main page with all the information on the programs, the air show, the events, uh, camping, the workshops, camping with your plane or with your RV or whatever. Um, it's a, you know, right now, 40 days out, it's a perfect time to plan your itinerary, look at the uh, forums that are available, buy your tickets. Um, 
And also, if you're going to be flying into Oshkosh, read the NOTAM. Do the NOTAM. Be the NOTAM. <laughs> and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can just Google, you know, Oshkosh 2018 NOTAM, and it'll take you right there. Um, you know, again, look for us, uh, you know, any of us uh, from Stuck Mike that are going to be there. I'm sure, Carl, you'll have an orange shirt or two to wear during the week. I will. Um, uh, as will the rest of us. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if you see us running around, just uh, stop us and say hello. We'd love to see you. Yeah, get that Stuck Mike selfie. And uh, that's a great website. Yeah. By the way, uh, they actually have a whole listing of lodging there. I was just asking people to tell me you know, if they have any rooms. I could oh, find cool. it on that website. So I'm glad you mentioned it, Larry. So that's all. it's all right there. So definitely go out and check it out. Awesome, awesome pick of the week. So can't wait for Air Adventure. I'm very, very excited about this. First time ever. The After Landing Checklist. That was a pick of the week. Also, another thing we've, we've tried to do is a video of the week. Uh, you have to go out to the show notes to check that out. There's going to be a link at the bottom. And uh, one of the ones that came up is because of what we're talking about is a, a case study. And it's an accident case study. And it's from the Air Safety Institute. Really good video that they put together. Uh, and it's actually, uh, um, there's wings credit you can get for this too. Uh, watching this and, and it's really neat. It's uh Interesting, I was actually, uh, it describes an accident that happened with a uh, TBM 700 uh, right near Morristown, uh, New Jersey, and I was actually in the air and listening to the, the uh, air traffic control conversation when this crash occurred, and they have a whole course on this, and uh, it just was, we were getting a ton of ice, I was so surprised that there was somebody else up there in a smaller plane uh, flying around in this, and it's, uh, there's a lot to be learned. Uh, from this tragic accident, but uh, it's the Air Safety Institute it has a whole bunch of other videos too, and you can learn so much from from them. Uh, just I can't say enough about AOPA. Well, gosh, this has been a great episode. Um, the pilot deviations. There's so many more things we can talk about. We just hit on the on the the big points as far as pilot deviations. Try to you know get into your own habit patterns. Try to develop those things and and learn and learn from your friends. Learn from this podcast, learn from those videos that are out there on YouTube, and try as hard as you can not to have a deviation. Uh, next time you go fly, do me a favor and think about that. Just do that one thing. Just think about what you're doing when you're flying and how you can prevent yourself from having a deviation. So do that for me. Next time you go fly, is say to yourself, I, am, I refuse to have a deviation on this flight. I'd really appreciate that. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode and stay flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.